We're in this series um, thinking through what a church is at Redeemer, and I really wanted to share uh, from, uh, from the idea today that you find the whole way through the Bible um, of the direction that any church should go in. What direction should a church go in? Now, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what you should do as a church. We've already been established. My authority is, is, not, is shaky at best. Uh, so I'm not going to tell you what to do as a church. Of course I'm not. But I do want to say, and I want to remind you, what is the call that goes out to every single church? The call that's on our church in Leeds, the call that's to you here, the call that goes out to the church of Jesus across the globe. And those passages that Andy read from us show us, they show us the last words of Jesus before what we call his ascension. What that means is when Jesus would go back up, he would ascend back up into heaven. So this is after his, his birth, his life, his death. And then as Christians, we believe he rose victoriously, walked out the grave. And then Matthew 28, just before he ascends back up into heaven, we read that Jesus says, I've got a mission for you as my church. There is a direction that I want my church to, to face in. I want my church to go out into the world. And he's really clear. He says it's to make disciples. Matthew 28, that's what I want my church to do. I want you, my church, to make other followers of Jesus. Now, if you go into Acts, in the passage that was read in Acts chapter 1, you see that he says, I want you, as soon as I send my power, as soon as I send my Holy Spirit, I want you to go what he says. I want you to go. As soon as the Holy Spirit comes to the church, there is a momentum outwards. There is a movement outwards. Jesus sends his church out into the world. And I think you've been thinking about that in different ways as you've looked through the book of Acts. And here at the very start, you see that the church is sent to carry the mission and the message of Jesus. Jesus sends his church out into the world. He throws them into the world. He says, I want you to live out lives of joy-filled worship. I want you to live out your lives together as my people in response to the good news of who I am. And as you do that, he says, more disciples will be made, more followers of Jesus, more people will become Christians. The church grows. And so you see from the beginning, there is this kind of catapult effect in the church. God sends his church out. And what we're going to see today is that the, the nature of the church, the, the way the church works, hasn't changed. We are still sent by God into the world. So if you look at the life of Jesus, um, if you go back into the Gospels, there's four accounts of the life of Jesus. And, um, and his, you see the same thing. You see a movement outwards. Now, a lot of people don't realize, but it was common in Jesus' day for a religious teacher to draw and to call disciples or pupils, followers, around them. But Jesus, from the start, is shown as going out amongst people. He often talks of himself as being sent from his Father. He says, I go out to seek the lost sheep. He says, I go. Jesus isn't stationary, and he's not static. And he doesn't want his church to be either. So you see that from the beginning, Jesus says to his church, I want you to go out. If you look in that passage in Acts and chapter 1, we'll look at a few things today, but if you look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, it says that their question to Jesus is, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They are still thinking about the place where they live. They're still thinking about the place that they know. 
the place where they all are at the moment. They think that his plans are the same, that God will only be looking in their neighborhood. So that's why they ask, God, are you going to be working in and around where we are? And yet Jesus' answer to them just throws, it throws the doors wide open. And Jesus essentially says, listen, your horizons are way too small. You want to know what mission I have for my church? Look at verse 8. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem. Now, they were probably comfortable with that. Into all Judea. It's local. We're still good with that. Into Samaria. It's quite a long way. And then he says, just in case there's any confusion, to the ends of the earth. Where? The ends of the earth. He says, this message, once it starts, there's no stopping it. And you are my church, and you take my message. You carry my message. There is a movement outwards. I think that can be a difficult thing for us to understand. And so Jesus uses a word here that I found tremendously helpful in really getting what it means to understand that the church is sent. And the word is a witness. Witness. That's what Jesus describes in verse 8. He says, you're my followers. You're my my first followers, the early leaders of my church, the apostles. He says, I want you to go and witness to other people. I want you to go and be my witnesses. He wants them to go into the world and to witness to others all that they had experienced, all that they knew of Jesus. And that call has been the same for every follower of Jesus since. The church is sent by Jesus into the world as his witnesses. We witness to Jesus. Now, very simply this afternoon, I want to show you two things about that. That's all. I want to show you what a witness is and then what a witness does. Just two things. Here's the first one. What a witness is. This is a shorter point, but it's important. Because today we're in the whole area of thinking through mission or or spreading the truth of the gospel, evangelism, understanding that this is what the church is called to, sent out. And I know that will leave some of you feeling really uncomfortable. It will leave some of you who are Christians feeling uncomfortable. You'll think, you know, how much guilt will he lay on me today? How guilty will I leave? You know, I mean... Is this what this is going to be like today? And if you're not a Christian, maybe here's what you think. I knew it. Fanatics. This is, this is, I knew that they were into this. Forcing other people to believe. This is what I knew. So let me say a couple of things. First of all, if you're a Christian, I want you to hear this. You are a witness. You don't have to try and become a witness. That is what you are. Telling others about Jesus is not the realm of really gifted people. It's not the realm of a professional kind of Christian. It is simply part of what it means to be a follower. So you can use different ways to summarize what the Bible talks, and different people do. I could stand up and describe it in all kinds of different ways. I could say something like, listen, all of us are called to be those who evangelize. We are evangelists. We go and tell people about Jesus. And immediately for some of you, you'll think, but I'm no speaker. I I can't, you know, I can't get up and communicate. I don't know any, you know, quirky little illustrations. And it's just not me. I I can't do that. Or I could use, I think, legitimately the kind of phrase of, you are missionaries. We are sent on mission by Jesus. And immediately some of you will think, well, no, I, you know, I'm not the kind of person who you know, sells everything and goes to some other kind of country cross-culturally. I, I, that's not me. 
Which is why I love the term witness, because you just can't help being a witness. Think about it. What do I mean? When you're a witness of something, when you, when you witness a thing, you can never cease to be a witness. You just know how to be one. So how, how easy do you find it to talk with a neighbor about how proud, if you've got children, about how proud you are of your children's achievements? Those of you who don't have kids and you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're bored of that already. You know, you just do it because you're ex- you love that thing. Those of you who are into sport, you love to, you were at a game, you say, oh, did you see this? It was amazing. You can't help but speak about it. You, you have a new car that you love. So do you want to come see it? I love this. It drives so well. You have some kind of amazing experience. You tell other people about it. Listen, that we know how to be witnesses, so this is good news. Because when I start saying the church is sent, so many of you will be terrified. So many of you will think, no, I I can't do this. The church is going to need other people who are going to go and do this, who are going to go and share. Or maybe your first reaction is, well, if I had some more training. Yeah, if I had some more training or if I grew a bit more, but please let me encourage you in this. You don't need the latest technique to be a witness for Jesus. Here's how one writer puts it. He says, the problem for many of us is not technique, but rather it's a failure to see the power of the gospel at work in our lives. If you are a Christian, something absolutely radical has happened in your heart. The most incredible transformation. And you are the person, in some ways, who sees it the clearest. It's happening. Jesus is working in each of us as Christians. It's happening right now. Training in new skills can be helpful. It's not what we need, though, to be witnesses. We really just have to believe the gospel is good news, to know its power. And remember what Jesus says. He says, my spirit will equip you to do this. In fact, he says to his church, don't do a thing until my spirit comes. You can't do this until my spirit comes. See, the same spirit is still active in each of us, in this church here. We are able to be this because he's enabling us to. This is good news. See, maybe you're not a Christian, though, and you're, you feel uncomfortable Maybe you say, well, why can't you Christians just be content with a powerful personal experience? Why can't it just be good for you? You know, why, why impose your views on other people? Listen, just imagine, just imagine for one moment with me, if this gospel really is true, if Jesus really was who he says he was, if he really did rise from the grave to offer hope to all, If a Christian, if we, if I have really experienced the power of that change in my life, wouldn't it be criminal not to want to share it with somebody else? Um, There's a a writer called Terry Pratchett. I used to read all of his books as a kid. And uh, there's one part in in one of his books where there is a a priest talking to one of the main characters, a character called Granny Weatherwax. And um, and she, she asked the priest if his god, his god called Om, she says, has anyone ever seen your God? And he says, well, yes, but it was a very, very long time ago. Thousands of years ago, and, um, and according to the holy text, um, some people dispute it, and well, just no, no one's really quite sure. And here's how she replies. She's not a believer, but here's how she replies. She says, listen, if I'd seen him, if I'd seen him really there, really alive, it'd be in me like a fever, If I thought there was some God who really did care two hoots about people, who watched them like a father, cared for them like a mother, you wouldn't find me just being nice to people in the hope it would all turn out right in the end. 
Not if the flame was burning in me. And I did say burning because that's religion. Anything else? It's just a way to keep in touch with the neighbors. Now, I think she sees something incredibly profound. For a Christian, the experience of Jesus, when they really experience him, it's a fire in the bones. It's a fire in the bones. It's a fever. See, as Christians, we don't believe that Christianity is just a way of keeping in touch with the neighbors, of being moral. The Christian gospel is an extraordinary experience. For a Christian, it's not only a stunning historical story about who Jesus was and what he did in history. It is, it is there, but it's also a personal story. See, no Christian here is present for the actual events and witness those moments in history. But every Christian here is a witness to the impact of them in their own lives right now. The reality of Jesus We've seen the power of God at work in us. We've witnessed God's grace changing us. We've seen him do that. We don't just tell a story by grace. We're part of that story. We believe it is the best, the best thing we could share with anybody. We believe it deserves to be told and retold and retold and retold again. We can't help but speak about what we've witnessed. Can't help it. See, that's what a witness is. Here's the second thing. What does a witness do? Yeah, and of course, like the obvious answer is, well, they witness. End of point two. Done. Everyone go home. Um, that is true. That you witness, you share, you tell other people. But how? That's what I'm interested in. How do we do that? What does that actually mean for those of you who are Christians? How does that shape life? Now, we could, we could trace this out in a hundred different ways this afternoon. But I, I just want to show you two ways. What does it mean to be a sent church? I think a sent church sees the power of two things. They see the power of the ordinary and the power of difference. A sent church sees the power of the ordinary and the power of difference. Here's the power of the ordinary. From Acts chapter 1 onwards, here's what you read the church are doing. Really ordinary things. There's a lot of extraordinary things in there too. But there's an awful lot of very ordinary things. It involves homes and meals and daily living and sharing and serving and loving God in everyday life. Not everyone leaves Jerusalem and kind of tears up to the ends of the earth. Some do, some go, most stay. And they live their lives following Jesus in the everyday detail. If you don't believe me, just listen. Listen to the description of the church in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. It says this, they devoted themselves, this is the church, to the apostles' teaching, that was to the word, the kind of thing that we are doing here, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. They are amazing things. But then listen, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love that description of the church. I love it for a hundred different reasons, but I love it because it's so ordinary. I read it and I think, I, I got a home. I can do that. Breaking bread, amen. We do that. We eat together. We can do that. 
can do those kind of things. And you see, as they, do, they, as they live their ordinary lives, God is at work. And here's what we'll see as we live out our lives together as the church. God acts. He acts through us as his church. Here's how one writer puts it. I think I have this as, uh, up on the screen. Tim Chester, he says, Jesus didn't just send the Holy Spirit so we could do evangelism. He gave us the Spirit so we could be witnesses, so our whole lives would commend the good news about Jesus. What the Bible says is the church doesn't just have a message. We do, but it's more than that. We live every day in the joy of our message. What do I mean? I mean, sometimes the church acts like a factory that produces a great product. Yeah? We all know we have the gospel, and that is a great thing. It is great news. Everyone should believe this. It is the most wonderful news. But if you enter the factory, everyone's miserable. <laughs> There's no joy. It doesn't look like a bunch of people transformed. It looks like there's fairly terrible working conditions in the factory, if you're completely honest. But you read the New Testament, and you find the church is a community that authenticates the message. In other words, they're a community that live out the truth of the message. We embody the reality of the gospel. We live in the joy and the hope of the gospel. See, the more you experience that reality, the more you burn to tell others of it. Honestly, if you want to grow in this area, grow in your love for Christ. And then you cannot but tell others of his goodness. There was an old writer, a Puritan writer called Richard Sibbs. And he, he, he described it like this. He said, the Christian singing God's praises to the world is like a bird singing. He said, a bird sings the loudest when the sun rises and warms them. And so it is with Christians. He says, just as like when the dawn rises and the sun's brightness warms the birds and they sing more loudly, so it is with a Christian. The more they are warmed by the light of the word, the more they experience the love of God in Christ, that's when they sing the loudest. That's when you'll sing the loudest. See, as a church, you get to experience, live, and dwell in the sunshine of God's love. You get to experience the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in Jesus the ordinary is beautiful as we bear witness to him in our everyday lives. Listen, I am so hungry for city-shaking movements of the Holy Spirit. We pray for that for our own city. Whole streets, whole communities transformed by grace. I long for gatherings and meetings where the Spirit works in such power. There are more people seeking Jesus than there are Christians to pray for them. I long for that. I pray for all of that. You may experience that. We may experience that. But I don't despise the ordinary. Because it's through the ordinary that God so often chooses to bring about the extraordinary. A sent church will cherish the power of the ordinary. And will rejoice in serving Jesus in the midst of it. And here's the last thing. You'll see the power of difference as well. There's a place in the New Testament where Peter, one of Jesus' early followers, is writing to Christians. And he describes Christians in really, uh, really powerful ways, actually. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, this is what he says, Christians. He, this, he's describing the church. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
It's an incredible way of describing the church. He says, you're all of these things. And then he summarizes what life looks like for a church, what it looks like for Christians together. He says, dear friends, verse 11, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among pagans, that's non-Christians, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. This is amazing language. He says, listen, you are all of these things. You are new people, God's people. You live differently in the world. And as you live differently in the world, people who don't know God begin to see his reality. And then the verses that follow that, he describes what that looks like. And here's what's amazing. The examples he follows up with, how he works this out, they're not big things. They're not dramatic things. They're examples of ordinary life. The home. How to live as a good citizen. How you live in the workplace. Living ordinary lives as distinct followers of Jesus. Peter is saying we are witnesses to Jesus wherever we go. To use Jesus' image from Matthew 5, the church is salt and light. It's different. It's distinct. Here's one of the greatest mistakes a church can ever make. There's a pressure we often feel driven by good motivations. We think the best way to reach people around us, we think the best way to reach the world is to become about as close to the world as we possibly can be. That the best way to witness to Jesus is simply become like everyone else. After all, isn't that the best way to build a bridge? Well, here's what you find the Bible says. It's a huge mistake that will harm you and it will harm the people that you're trying to love, serve, reach, and bless. There's a a preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones, and um, he put it this way. He said, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate her at first. Do you hear what he says? He says the best way to reach the world is not do all you can to be like the world. You just end up looking ridiculous. You lose whatever appeal you may have had. You lose the saltiness. You become useless. Instead, we make a difference by being different. We live out distinct lives, different lives. A different set of values and motivations drive us as Christians as we live out our call to love God and love other people, everything changes. I could, I could take you in a hundred different directions with this one as well. But I think for the sake of time, I'm going to pull it to a close here this afternoon. <clears throat> I want to encourage you with this fact. Acts begins. Acts begins with the words, and they're really interesting words. Luke, who's writing it, he, um, he's writing to someone called Theophilus. He's almost certainly kind of enabling him and funding him to write this book. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I love this. Do you hear this? It's a little thing. All Jesus began to do and teach. If you go to the end of Acts, if you've ever read to the end of Acts, it's got a terrible ending. Reverently, I say that. Acts finishes really strangely. In fact, 
Acts doesn't finish. Now, if you know anything about the books of the Bible, you know that they are incredibly carefully written, both at a human level and at the fact that God wanted all of these words written. And yet you come to the end of Acts and it kind of just putters out. <laughs> and you think, what did that? Where's the next page? What happens? Ah, oh, and that's exactly the point. So you get to the end of Acts, the story of the church, and you're left saying, what's next? And it's as if the Spirit of God throws straight out of the page, you're next, and my church is still going. See, Acts doesn't finish because the church hasn't finished. Acts is a book about all Jesus began to do because Jesus still is doing The ultimate thing that encourages us and that means you can live as a saint church, means we can live as a saint church, is because Jesus isn't done yet. Jesus is not done yet. He's still at work. He's still at work in our nation. He's still at work in our neighborhoods. He's still at work in our, our workplaces, amongst our friends, amongst the people that we love. He is still at work. The work of Jesus carries on through the church. Through us as his witnesses sent into the world, the story continues. It keeps moving forward. The good news is that Jesus is spreading through the church the great news of the gospel into the earth. Through you, through you, Jesus desires to reach this area. Did you know that? It is through you. Can I tell you, the cavalry is not coming. There is no one on a white horse waiting to come and save you and everyone here. You are the means in God's wisdom that he has chosen to reach out into the neighborhoods and the communities where you've been placed. It was no accident. So you may, you may look at yourself and say, oh, it must have been. Because you have no idea how compromised I am. You have no idea how little gifts I You have no idea. No, it was no mistake. It was no mistake. 1 Corinthians 12 says you were gifted and placed by God in his sovereign wisdom in exactly the right place, in exactly the right time. And you as a church have been placed here in God's wisdom. That should thrill you. That should thrill you, because he knows what he's doing. We're five years into Redeemer. I still don't have a clue. But I know that he does. And I love that fact. Listen, maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, this, this, is, this is good. This is fine. This is fine for all of you. But I'm a million miles away from any of this stuff. I'm interested. I'm curious about Christianity. But I, I'm just so far away from ever believing this. Can I, can I tell you, do you know what? Join the club. So will we. So is anyone. And yet, if the author is still at work, it means the story is still being told. I can guarantee that this church is full of people who thought that they were a million miles away from this, who struggled to believe this, who still continue to struggle to believe parts of this. But Jesus, in his risen power, is still encountering hearts. He's still meeting people. He's still changing people. He's still drawing people to himself.